Welcome to TBT on Air. This podcast will look at carbon offsets and the importance of choosing the right projects. We are joined today by Anthony Collier, co-founder of TreePoints. Welcome, Anthony, and thank you for joining us today. Hello, thank you for having me. To start off, please feel free to introduce yourself and give us a bit of background on your career. Sure, okay. Um, so my name is Anthony. Uh, I, that was probably evident already, but uh, I'm the co-founder of TreePoints. TreePoints is a technology business that helps connect individuals and SMEs uh, with the best carbon offsetting projects, uh, tree planting initiatives, and uh, plastic recycling initiatives, and maybe more in the future. Who knows? Um, and we do that through a few different uh, kind of products. So uh, one of those is subscriptions. So individuals can subscribe to offset their footprint, plant trees, recycle plastic all together. Um, businesses can do the same on behalf of their employees, sort of like an HR perk. Uh, businesses can also, uh, the, aside from subscriptions, we also do integration. So businesses can integrate us into their website or app uh, so they can take actions programmatically. Um, the really obvious example of it would be, uh, you know, an e-commerce store uh, will plant a tree for sale or offset products at point of sale. Um, but we do see people using it kind of more creatively. I mean, it's an API, you can use it however you want. Um, so people do it to incentivize referrals. Uh, we're talking to some neobanks. Uh, you might've seen these things where people like spend X and we'll plant a tree. Uh, so giving that as a feature to, to neobanks. Um, and uh, also looking at, you know, certain interactions within apps, you know, rewarded for the tree. Um, and then the third thing that we do is that we do a little bit of kind of advising companies. Uh, so say they may want to know their business footprint, what does their office space, uh, logistics, et cetera, contri contribute. And then on an invoice basis, helping them uh, counteract that impact. Uh, so they can just kind of work with us directly. Um, uh, particularly, you know, if, if the business isn't a tech business or, or doesn't have a clear programmatic way to integrate the API, then we'll, we'll work with people in that way. Um, in terms of my background, uh, prepare yourself for a roller coaster ride. Um, so, about, oh my, it's painful to say, six years ago, uh, I graduated from university um, and I had the good fortune of meeting my co-founder who was my literal university roommate. Um, and we knew we wanted to start a business. Long story short, started a travel business. Uh, things were going swimmingly right up until um, the second or third month of 2020, uh, when you may recall that there was a, or at least, you know, it, it reached the UK, uh, that there, you know, there was a global pandemic. Uh, and we literally went from, you know, turning over maybe, uh, you know, I don't know, 100 to 200,000 pounds a month uh, to literal zero from one month to the next. Um, that was, I mean, we just paused everything because, you know, every business was shutting down. The travel business is a short-term luggage storage solution. Um, after about six months of that, being in hibernation, um, we kind of put our heads together and said, okay, we, you know, we, we're in, in a, in a, in a strange sense, you know, I'm an optimist, blessed with this uh, time. Um, you know, what are, what are some problems that we care about? Um, and what do we think we can do? What do we think we can build to, to help? Um, and so we kind of centered on climate change and financial inequity. We'll talk a little bit about it, but they're, they're quite closely intertwined. Um, and we realized that basically lots of companies want to do more, don't know how to find and vet the best projects, um, don't have convenient ways of accessing them, don't really understand what they should be doing. You know, if someone says like five tons, most people in companies, you know, there's no immediate kind of context. Like, I don't know, like what, what, you know, is five tons a lot or a little? Is that like how much I emit a day or is that how much I emit over my lifetime? Um, uh, so we kind of 
ultimately decided to set up this business and run it as a social enterprise. So we commit to uh, reinvesting 50% of any profits that we generate um, into either the same things that we're providing and supporting or similar, you know, perhaps more research and development focused uh, climate initiatives. That's really commendable work. Um, could you tell us a little bit about why it's important for um, businesses and companies to consider the use of carbon offsets and credits, like its effect? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'll, I'll talk about this in a few levels, right? So I think actually an interesting place to start is you as a business uh, and your business objectives, right? So one thing that we feel really strongly um, is that I think a lot of people in the climate space, increasingly this isn't the case, but a lot of people in the climate space come from sort of an activism background and, and you know, perhaps end up making some sort of product or tech solution. Whereas we're the other way around. We come from a tech and product background and approach the climate space. And I think it's really important to make like large scale actionable change. You need to make things that actually solve problems for people and ultimately for the, the solution that you need to be providing needs to be the uh, correct solution so something that is you know in line with the business's goals normally generating revenue and profit um rather than a sort of charity case because then you, you hit a ceiling uh, whereas if it's something that is generative for your business people will invest invest and do more and more uh to, in that regard so from a business perspective um you know i i think it's probably one of the most effective marketing strategies uh employer branding strategies uh that exists uh, and I want to like, I want to be very specific and careful with this. Um, you know that does not mean that you should greenwash. And there are enough people who are um, thinking about this carefully and looking at you. And basically, you're taking on a lot of risk if you're greenwashing as opposed to making a genuine sustainability policy. But making a genuine sustainability policy is honestly a marketing and employer branding no-brainer. Not to mention a good thing to do. Um, so that's one reason why businesses should do it. And then the other reason why specifically offsetting rather than sustainability more generally, uh, I, I mean, super simply, you know, reduction is very, very important, right? The, the problem of climate change uh, is a problem of both flows and stock. Flows is how much is going out each year. Stock is how much carbon is already in the atmosphere. And the problem is not only are we emitting too much each year, there's already too much. Um, so like, I don't want to understate that reduction is super important. Um, but I think we need to be realistic as well. The problem of climate change um, is that, you know, really the reason we care about it is because it's a means of saying we don't want people to suffer catastrophic reduction in standards of living, right? Um, but the reality is at the same time, a lot of the services that, you know, we want to live a decent life with a decent standard of living will require some amount of, of offsets, right? Like if you are a business that interacts in the physical world, there are great changes you can make. And, you know, in, there are changes that we can research and hopefully can implement in the next 20 to 50 years to totally, may, maybe totally eliminate your footprint or near totally. But practically, you know, if you are moving things around, if you're an airline, uh, et cetera, et cetera, those are essential services to people living a modern life in a meaningful and enjoyable way that just have a, a limit to how much they can reasonably reduce, right? Um, so that's one, you, you can only reduce so much, but even then, you know, let's say you're a business that somehow can reduce to zero, right? The thing with reduction is you have a limit and it's zero, right? 
when you offset, there is no limit to how much you can actually be contributing, right? You can offset 10 times your footprint. You can offset 20 times your footprint. And if you think about it also in terms of efficiency, uh, and this is my, my background is in economics, um, and my, my co-founder actually worked at the Bank of England for a little bit. So, I mean, he was there for like three months, but nonetheless, he was, you know, he got into the, you know, take it as an economist. Um, when you create a marketplace for these sorts of things, it's, I mean, it, it's just the standard um, functioning capitalist uh, response to things. I don't want to say like, I'm not the kind of person who's like, marketplaces always work and you should just have marketplace for everything. Because uh, I know that that's like a neoliberal trope. But in this case, it actually makes sense where we're letting uh, people who can focus on doing it most effectively, capture carbon or stop emissions from carbon, uh, most affordably, most effectively, uh, do that and then sell that service to other people rather than, you know, say you're a business, right? In reality, on that journey of getting from where you are to the theoretical, maybe impossible zero level of output, um, there's going to be low hanging fruit and then it's going to become increasingly more expensive and unrealistic um, to, to um, you know, further uh, reduce uh, to the extent that, you know, the effective price per ton that you might be paying, you know, beyond the low hanging fruit could very quickly become uh, several tens or several hundreds or maybe even thousands of pounds uh, per ton versus, you know, actually, hey, whilst reduction is really important, might it be better to just buy a hundred times, you know, or pay someone who can more effectively do that through a project, pay them to do a hundred times the impact rather than you doing this uh, relatively cost ineffective way. Well, on that subject of businesses offsetting, obviously, um, what are the top projects that you believe Tree Points suggest to its clients um, that they should invest in and why? Okay, so uh, we actually have a mission statement that we've released on this, uh, and we also in include like a risk matrix looking at different projects. I should clarify that the way that we work is that we, and, and this is intentional, uh, we actually basically have a portfolio approach, right? So we will buy a mix of credits and then by offsetting with us, you're access, accessing that mix of credits, right? That's important because in reality, the standards are getting better and better uh, and our understanding of what works and doesn't work is getting better and better, but ultimately nothing is without risk, right? Um, and also different projects have different kind of additionality, uh, sorry, not additional analogy, but different um, kind of additional benefits. So for example, methane capture at a landfill, super effective, doesn't really benefit, um, you know, say for example, struggling impoverished communities. Giving cook stoves to people in uh, developing countries, obviously it's a great way to capture emissions, but it also has a huge benefit to, to the community there, right? Because it means people don't need to be going out and gathering firewood uh, and then inhaling the, the, the smoke from that fire, right? So um, there's kind of a few different things to consider there. Uh, but to give kind of a high level um, of the sort of projects we do support and the sort of projects we don't support, um, I'm looking at our risk matrix over here. So I said cook stoves, that's a really good example. Basically go into communities where people are burning wood or coal to fuel their homes or to cook, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and just give them access to reasonable clean technology like a solar cook stove um, or a cook stove that's powered by, uh, you know, animal waste or, or something similar to that. Uh, that's a great example. Um, a really famous one that, you know, most people think about when they think about offsetting is investing in renewables. That's actually one that we no longer purchase uh, since we kind of consulted with some uh, uh, academics over the summer. Uh, the main issue is that 
most of these projects tend to be in countries like uh, India, China. Um, and in reality, the contribution of the sale of credits um, has a kind of like two to 5% impact on the overall profitability of the, uh, of the project. Uh, so it's, I mean, I don't want to say it, they're, that they're doing nothing because ultimately the extra sale of those credits does expedite the growth of that industry still. So there's benefit. Um, but it, it's harder to say like this project wouldn't have happened without the funding of credits. Therefore, it's truly additional. It's truly like stuff that wouldn't have happened without sale of credits. Uh, and obviously, if you're saying we have, you know, absorbed a kilo of carbon or stopped a kilo of carbon emitting, um, you know, in exchange for this credit, you want to know that it wouldn't have happened otherwise. Otherwise, it's, you know, the credit is, is not worth it. Um, that said, we, you know, we don't currently have any in the portfolio. But there is more evidence that small scale renewable projects, so a small run of river hydropower plant, um, a wind power development in a truly less developed country. Uh, so not somewhere like India or China where they have good subsidies from government and actually now decent infrastructure for, for that sort of uh, engineering project. You know, I'm talking um, one of the relatively poor sub-Saharan African countries, for example, uh, and a small um, project operator, those can be truly additional. The, the contribution of credits can be um, like critical to the running of that project. Uh, another famous one would be uh, afforestation, reforestation, or avoided deforestation. Um, so reforestation, I mean, super clear, you plant trees, trees absorb carbon. One thing that we have a lot of confusion with in our business is that we offer carbon credits. Some of them are reforestation or avoided deforestation credits, but the tree planting that we offer is separate. Um, the reason we do that is because uh, some people, you know, particularly if we're, we're like a marketing tool within a wider sustainability plan, um, people find tree planting tangible. But um, for the tree planting partners we work with, in order to, who are not carbon uh, offset credited, um, the cost of accreditation would actually mean that it would cost them a lot more to plant per tree. Uh, and so they just work on a per tree basis. But there are also credits that are based on reforestation, uh, you know, whether they will get climate scientists out and they will uh, be accredited by gold standard BCS uh, or someone similar. Um, that's a great way. I mean, it, you know, it's pretty intuitive, you know, trees, everyone, I, I assume I assume everyone listening to this has at least done, you know, I think it's even pre-GCSE biology where it's like photosynthesis. Mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Um, but they'll, you know, take in uh, carbon from the atmosphere and turn that into the barks of the trees. Um, one relative issue there is obviously, um, you know, the trees have some amount of risk, like what happens if it's in a wildfire area and they burn down. Um, and then secondly, the trees obviously don't live forever. If they're not turned into timber, uh, the trees will die at some point. But when you uh, reforest a certain area, it also has a knock-on effect where you know, it's an ecosystem. It starts planting, you know, the, the trees will naturally support the growth of other trees uh, and a whole actually biodiverse ecosystem around them. Um, another example would be, um, like I said, capturing methane, methane from landfills. Um, so fairly clear, uh, it's just stopping methane going out into the air. Um, one, oh, one thing worth mentioning, so there's a difference between afforestation, reforestation and avoided deforestation. One is the literal planting of trees, and one is the protection of areas from being uh, chopped down. The difficulty with, uh, with the latter, the, the avoiding of things being chopped down, is that sometimes, or I mean, because, that, because the one is literally growing trees and they're taking carbon out of the air, it's very clear, right? Avoided deforestation, there's a counterfactual that's hard to check. 
right? And this was a, I think this was a, a scandal uh, over the last year or so where, you know, there were question marks over like, well, how do we know that those areas really were going to be chopped down until they were protected? Uh, that's a relative risk. Uh, my, my point though is all different projects have some amount of risk, not just because of the project type, also just project, you know, the project, ma the people managing the project, right? Uh, like, you know, people with good intentions can still sometimes mess up. Uh, so access to a portfolio is our approach. Um, and I also do want to highlight, um, you know, some people might hear like, okay, uh, you know, not everything is, is necessarily perfect. Nothing, you know, some things have like risks or, or trade-offs. Um, and, and that's true. Uh, but, but the response is not, so I'm going to do nothing. Right. Uh, I mean, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't hear, for example, like, oh, you know, a, a charity has, um, uh, some inefficiency in their functioning and then be like, well, I'm just going to stop giving money to charity. I don't care about this thing anymore. Um, as a, as a rough example. Uh, and also all of these standards and all of these projects are just continually improving as standards kind of become more widespread and, and we understand more about what does and doesn't work. I think definitely when it comes to things being widespread, um, there's obviously been Article 6.4 established, um, mm -hmm. which is the central UN mechanism to take credits from emission reductions um, generated through specific projects. Um, mm -hmm. What is your opinion on this? So, um, uh, the a ability little to question. trade credits, obviously. <laughs> Right, the ability to trade credits. Right, okay, okay. So, little mixed on this. Um, it's a function of the marketplace that I was talking about earlier, uh, and to some extent, it makes sense. We don't really interact with that. Um, I mean, we we purchase credits and retire them. That's it, right? Um, we don't. We we never purchase them and hold them as assets to trade. Um, and so, so I mean, the trade mechanism is. A little problematic so we've seen for example recently uh there's this crypto fund right and this crypto fund has come in and bought like 10 million credits right uh and and in a sense that's great because it's you know it pushes the market it pushes demand for more projects to exist it, it raises awareness on the other hand they're not buying and retiring them they're buying them and linking them to a blockchain and linking it to a token which is then going up in value because when the demand goes up so it, it you know it's it's a little hard to tell whether they're I, and I don't want to be cynical. I'm assuming the people doing it are doing it with all good intentions. And I, I honestly, I don't know enough about it to assertively say things. But from my perspective, working in the industry, it's created a price squeeze, uh, like perhaps unnecessarily. Um, and they're they're only like pseudo retired the credits because, like I said, you're actually just buying them and attaching them to the blockchain. Um, so the, the the trading thing is a bit of a problem. And we you know we've seen in the financial industry, how creating these pointless, I say pointless in that they, they're not actually related to value in the real world, uh, secondary markets for financial derivatives leads to this chaotic system where, you know, valuation of, of the assets becomes hugely inflated and the majority of money moving is money moving on secondary markets as opposed to like primary markets which actually move the real world. Um, so, okay, actually now talking about it, fairly negative on the trading element. Uh, it shouldn't be an asset, you should just retire them. You should buy them to retire, that's it. Um, and then also it's worth mentioning, uh, the UN, um, the UN's uh, C CDM, CDMs um, are uh, generally seen as a subpar standard. So we only purchase credits from gold standard and BCS, 
because um, they're seen as actually being more rigorous standards. Um, so you're, you're much more likely to be getting what you're paying for, um, i.e. carbon's actually being uh, taken out of the air or stopped from being emitted. So overall opinion, I guess negative. <laughs> Uh, well, I was going to ask you which um, top countries are presently willing to accept a burden of responsibility to mm. um, take on these credits and um, certificate duties. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, this is overall, including um, the golden standard, not just Article yeah. 6.4. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's, it, they're actually not really, if I'm understanding correctly, like which countries should be certifying things. Uh, it's actually not countries and it shouldn't be countries um, because any country can be biased toward their political agenda, right? It's, it, it makes sense that it's people like, like Gold Standard who are part of WWF where they're actually non-governmental international organizations um, with, you know, non-profit, um, non-profit charges, et cetera. So they're publishing everything they're doing and making it public. Um, I, I actually think that that's the correct way to manage, to manage it. Um, so, but I mean, kind of more widely aside from, uh, do, do you mean purely the management, like the issuing of certificates and, and managing that process, or do you mean more widely, um, requiring people to offset, et cetera? Uh, definitely requiring people to offset, like they should be pushing right, okay, okay. to make a change rather than just accepting got you, got you. Um, that they okay, so, have offsets. So this, uh, this is a completely non-novel opinion. Um, but it ties to what I was saying earlier, right? And this is something that I think some people kind of forget. I, um, I, I have a lot of respect for activists. I think they're super important in um, moving public opinion and the political agenda. And I think ultimately, particularly moving public opinion and consumer behavior feeds into policy changes and business changes. Um, but one thing I think a lot of activists, you know, the Greta Thunberg types miss is that thing I said earlier, right? The problem of climate change is that we want to avoid catastrophic reductions in people's standards of living, right? And the argument that people should, you know, to, to be, to put it to an extreme, the argument that people should live in mud huts to avoid having to live in mud huts because of climate change doesn't make sense, right? So the argument like, you should never be able to buy anything you want and you should never be able to fly, otherwise climate change will lead to a world where we can never buy what we want or be able to fly is is tautological right um tautological paradoxical oxymoron i don't know one of those words take it to yeah pick the one that works um and uh it's it's with that understanding of climate change and quality of life that you actually have to then think about countries like china and india too many people take a super simplistic approach and they go like oh china and india what bad guys why are they only saying they'll be net neutral by 2070 right when in reality, these are countries that already have huge problems with people living in extreme poverty. And, the, and one of the ways to, to increase those standards of living is to emit more, to, to be able to produce energy, produce jobs, produce things for those people, right? So they have a real trade-off to make. It's easy for us, having gone through an industrial revolution where we, we being generally Western democracies, emitted a huge amount, made a huge, uh, made huge amounts of economic progress and don't have or to a much lesser extent don't have you know millions of people living in slums uh to then say like oh you know we should all do this together a long way of saying it's really on the west to go over and above um it, we were like we need to be thinking not just we need to be thinking about it as a global problem and not just thinking like we need to stop 
the you know we need to counteract our own footprint we need to be working the richest countries in the world to go over and above because it's not reasonable to ask people like china and india um i mean there's a certain amount uh, or to a certain extent they're able to leapfrog because of the existing renewable technologies and stuff um but we need to accept that like they have a lot of people in poverty and the problem of climate change is fundamentally a problem of standard of living so and we need to keep that in mind so uh, on the effects of like the current state of climate change uh, your belief is that obviously if we move forward correctly with changes um and make everything this could then obviously improve standard of living globally yes yeah or i mean more well more specifically it's a little bit of both right it could improve standards of living but more particularly it could avoid catastrophic reductions in standard of living right so like people people don't realize uh and i think this is i think the, a, a kind of farce that people have around climate change is thinking that like um the problem is we're going to hit some level and then the world's going to explode right in reality you know what would happen is like in the west particularly we would see some negative effects but like not huge um the real people who would be impacted would mostly be people who are already living in poverty in developing countries which first of all you know say for example you're more agrarian and you're near the equator you're much more affected by um extreme weather like droughts and uh, extreme rains um and I, I mean these are people who already have huge numbers like globally there's millions of um climate change refugees effectively um so it's part of it is that like it's pushing us to develop technologies that you know can make life better um but the biggest benefit is more an opportunity cost in not facing catastrophic uh impacts through you know for example larger and more frequent extreme weather you know but but i do want to point out that like you know the the realistic perspective is not it, it's it's hard to say we're not 100% sure um but the argument that like particularly for people living in rich western countries uh the problem is we're going to hit some point and then you know life ends is is not really the issue it's 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 more that it's going to impact our quality of life uh, and if we to be fair i mean obviously there is a point where it will be like okay no like you know people are going to be dying but um as in like all over but that's not like the kind of you know oh if we miss targets just a bit like it's not like okay snap 2040 uh, mass extinction on the subject of um people obviously trying to make changes uh trying mm -hmm. to move towards a reducing uh, the effects on quality of life uh, what was your overall opinion on the outcomes of cop26 i've been asking people this uh as an interview question for a sustainability manager role um so i'm just going to amalgamate what other people have said um some of the agreements i mean some of the agreements are really positive right so agreements around coal agreements around methane like those are really important steps um on the other hand some people have been upset because there's kind of this sense of like it wasn't enough like you know it, it, uh, there should have been a kind of grandiose stand like this is the moment where everything changes but if i haven't made it kind of clear enough through the fact that we were in a business for this that should do something here and, and all the things that i've been saying over the last half hour like i have a pragmatic approach to to fixing the issue um and and i think that the, the realistic pragmatic approach is incremental change so you know coming away with tangible stuff like the coal um agreements and the methane agreements those are those are positive steps uh, and it, it's not a realistic expectation that you know 
all the countries were going to meet up and be like, yep, all flights are cancelled, all fossil fuels are cancelled, here we go, yay. Um, I, I, I mean, there could have been more, but, you know, how much did I really expect from this? I really think the main changes are going to come bottom up over the next kind of five, 10 years. And I think a lot of that's going to be driven, like hopefully for businesses, a lot of it is just natural. It's, it, you know, if, if people are choosing to buy sustainable, businesses will choose to make more sustainable products. That's it. Um, and if people are, you know, voicing opinions that they, they want politicians who support sustainable policy, politicians who put forward more sustainable policies. Um, that's what I think will really drive change, not global summit I, I don't know i sound like a jaded i'm not i'm not even that old i'm only in my mid late 20s but i i'm already jaded and enough to not think that inter intra intra intergovernmental meetups is going to be the solution it's it's going to be uh more bottom up and with that we would like to thank you all for listening to tbt on air podcast uh, if you enjoyed this podcast please sign up for access to TB Tech's premium online and mobile content, including the latest global trends, news, and insights. Our online publication allows you to access unlimited credible knowledge and information daily through in articles, podcasts, and webinars. To do this, all you have to do is visit tbtech.co.